Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I'm the executive pastor at Grace. Only here sometimes, but often hearing about what's going on here from Jason and from Brooks and from others who attend here on a regular basis. Good to be with you tonight. Tonight we are continuing in the series called, um, go back, oh no, forward, sorry, called Receiving the King. And this series is about the book of Mark and it is about the coming of Jesus. And over the last couple of weeks, you have probably heard about how Jesus comes uh, on the scene. He is God, and he is powerful, and he is in authority over all of the powers, the supernatural powers, the natural powers. And he is, he is the Lord. He is the king. And so the people are being asked to receive the king. And now Jesus has said something new. Jesus has said, I want to talk to you about how to grow my kingdom. And so tonight, the sermon title is Growing the Kingdom, and I have here a quote from Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins, for those of you who don't know, was a Christian singer and songwriter, um, active mostly in the 1980s and 90s. He died in the late 1990s. And Rich Mullins has this song called Creed, and it is essentially the Apostles' Creed put to music, and he sings it. And in the song, he has this line at the chorus break where he says about all of these things he's singing about, about Jesus and about his death and resurrection and about the gospel. He says, I did not make it. No, it is making me. And this is, this is two pretty different positions toward the gospel. One is that I can make it be what I want it to be. I can make the word of God into the thing that I want. And the other is that the word of God transforms me. It makes me into who God would have me be. And so I want you to hold on to those two ideas as we talk about the parable of the sower tonight, as we talk about uh, what it is that God does in us when he calls us to do in response to the word, because those are two pretty different paths that we can take. And one of them is tempting, and it leads to death. And the other is not always tempting. In fact, sometimes the path that leads to life is hard but it is the path that leads to life. And so I want to lay those out clearly for you tonight. I want to take some time to look at this parable and talk about what it means. So first we'll do that. We'll talk about the sower, the seed, the soil, all the different elements of the parable, why Jesus uses parables. Uh, And then we'll spend some time talking about what it is God does when he sends out his word, who he's using to send it out, what our responses can be to that. And then finally, we'll get to that response leading to life or death. And it is a life or death situation. In the West, in America, we're pretty good about hiding death. For those of you who have experienced death of a loved one, you know that you feel outside of society when somebody close to you dies. Because in our society, we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't embrace it. We put cemeteries on the outskirts of town usually, and we just we ignore it as much as possible. But Jesus and his disciples and the people and the time that he lived, they couldn't avoid it like we do, and we shouldn't avoid it either. So I want to talk about it tonight. Um, As we pray for the start of the reading of the the word and the the discussion of the word, uh, let's also pray for Jason tonight who is not feeling well. I was already on the schedule to come and preach. This was supposed to be his night off, and now he doesn't feel good. So let's pray for him, pray for um, their family as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word, uh, to study it, to know you better through it. God, I pray that you would be with Jason tonight. Uh, Help him to heal. Lord, you know exactly what he needs for relief from illness and pain, and I pray that you would provide that tonight. Help us to love he and his family well as he is uh, recovering, and I pray, Lord, that you would 
Encourage them with your Holy Spirit's presence. I ask it in your name. Amen. So here's a quick breakdown of this parable. And this parable appears in Matthew chapter 13 and also in Mark chapter 4. If you're ever reading the Bible and you come across a story in one of the Gospels and you think, I wish I knew more about this, I wish I had more discussion about this, there's a good chance, not a guarantee, but there's a good chance that it's covered in one of the other Gospels. So go and check out the other Gospels when you're reading any one of them because it's helpful. It's helpful to see the accounts compared one against the other. And in Matthew and in Mark, we get the parable of the sower. In both cases, the sower is a person who's sharing God's word faithfully. They're out sowing seed. And today when we sow seed, right, when farmers plant crops, it's very mechanized. It's very orderly and routine. There are planters that use satellite guidance, right, and laser precision. And they put seeds like in quarter-inch increments, like in this crazy grid, right, that's all planned out. And this is not that. In this parable, we're, we're imagining a person with a bag around their shoulder and seeds, and they're walking and they're just casting the seed, right? And it's And it's that sort of imagery that Jesus is calling on. So this idea that you are just spreading seed, and it could land, it could land in places where it has no business being. It could land on a road, it could land among thorns, it could land any number of places. So the the point, Jesus says, is not that you should pick what kind of soil you're going to throw the seed onto, but rather that you should be faithful in just sowing the seed. And then the soil has its own work to do. The soil has its own response to the seed. So the parable is spoken to soils, in a sense, to all of us who are possible recipients of the word. And Jesus sums up his, his attitude toward the people as they receive this word this way. In Mark 4, 9, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it is like he is saying, if you understand what I'm saying, then you should do something with this. You should go and you should make good on this. But if you don't understand what I'm saying, then just keep moving. And Jesus has a reason for that. The reason that he does it that way, the reason that we get to this kind of troubling statement from Jesus is that he is trying to guard the truth. When Jesus is speaking, he is speaking to his fellow Israelites. When we read this verse, we have to read it in context. And Jesus is preaching to the people of Israel. They're gathered around him, and those are his audience. And the reason it's important that those people are his audience for this conversation is because they have had the opportunity to hear the word of God hundreds and thousands of times over hundreds and thousands of years. God has been going to Israel since Abraham saying, here's who I am, here's my message to you. And often, in fact, the prophets will specifically say, thus says the Lord. Here's the Lord's words to you directly. I'm going to just say these things to you directly. And he's been doing that, and the response of Israel has been to kill prophets. And the response of Israel has been to ignore God's word and go into captivity. And the response of God's people has been to reject his word. And so Jesus says, okay, we're done with that for right now. Right now I'm going to guard the truth. Right now I'm going to put it in parables. And so some of you are going to get it and some of you are not going to get it. And that's going to feel really unsatisfactory to you if you're paying attention. Both in this point here on Matthew, because we're we're going to read from both parables, and when we get to Mark as well, because it feels bad. But just hold on. Just hold on to that feeling. God's going to redeem it. So here's what it says in Matthew. The disciples came to Jesus. They said to him, why do you speak in parables And he answered them, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So his disciples, right, they get to know. 
But to them, to the people outside of his inner circle, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I, and I understand from the scripture that this is Jesus talking to the people who should know. The people who have been given his word over and over and over again. Jesus is especially critical of the Pharisees and Sadducees, people who would have studied the word of God all the time, who would have memorized it because many of them were illiterate and there was no other way for them to know the word than but to memorize it. And in fact, we get an account in John chapter 3 where Jesus goes to Nicodemus, sorry, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and they're talking and Nicodemus is confused. He's like, what's going on? Why, why is this the way it is? What do you mean born again? Explain to me. And Jesus responds, aren't you the teacher of Israel? You should know these things. I've told you in my word. I've told you with my prophets. I've told you and I've told you and I've told you. So the people here who have something that will be taken away, I believe the scripture is talking about those Israelites who have heard and have heard and have heard and they're just not paying attention. So that's the Matthew account. Let's look at the Mark account. Oop, that's two slides. Let's go back one. There we go. These people are making a choice. So the Mark account of the same interaction, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, much like Matthew. But here it differs a little. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And that last phrase is the one that really gets us. Doesn't Jesus want us to turn and be healed? Isn't, isn't that what he's asking for? But again, hear who he's talking to. Understand who he's talking to. He's talking to people who have heard this message time and again. They've heard, you can be redeemed. You can turn to the Lord. Let the Lord make you anew. And they've rejected and rejected and rejected. So Jesus says this, and he sets up this difference between those who are in the kingdom and those who are out of the kingdom. But I also believe that if we're reading the scripture in context, we see that there are two clues here to why this is not the end and why we should not lose hope or be frustrated by those words. And the first is that Jesus is quoting Isaiah here. So I'm going to turn to Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible, if you want to follow along, that's great. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, just a few verses. In Isaiah chapter 6, we get this statement that Jesus makes in verse 12, but we get the fuller context, and it's important for us. Important for us to understand why there's hope. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has been brought before the throne of God in a vision. And he's standing before the throne of God, and then he realizes how unworthy he is to be there, and he falls down. And there's angels, there's angels with wings that are flying around the throne, and the throne is magnificent, and he's He's out of his mind, right? Isaiah doesn't know what to do, but he does know this. He knows that he is unclean. Look at his response. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 6, Isaiah says, Woe to me, or woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Jesus quotes this Isaiah passage here knowing full well that when Isaiah, a people, right, a, a member of the people of God who had heard and heard and heard and rejected and rejected, Isaiah heard the word of God, he saw the king, and he repented. See what Isaiah does. He says, woe, woe is me, I'm wrong. 
I need you, God. I need the king. I'm unclean. I need you. And look at God's response. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then Isaiah is commanded right after that to go and speak to the people. The people about whom it is said they would perceive, see but not perceive, right here but not understand. And so I think that Jesus knows that this is the verse to quote because these people who are not listening, they still have an opportunity to repent and believe, just like Isaiah did, just like all of them will when Jesus is given up himself soon after. Because it's true that many people at one point in their life, if we look at them even in Scripture, do not appear to be following Jesus. And Paul is the perfect example. Paul is, in fact, an enemy of Christ. Paul is the person who stands guarding the coats of those people who are stoning Stephen. Stephen is a follower of Jesus, right? He's a young man who's devoted his life to Jesus, and he sees a vision, much like Isaiah did, of the throne of God, and he describes it to the people. And the Jews, they pick up stones to stone him, and they take off their coats because they know it's going to be hot, heavy work to kill a man. And Paul is standing there giving his approval. And yet, that same Saul at that time becomes Paul, the apostle of Christ, And so don't hear Jesus' words here and be dismayed because Jesus says this and then also offers up himself. And he offers up himself for some of those very people who at that point, when he said those words, appeared to be outside of the kingdom. So I I point all that out to you to say that this parable is for you. You can repent. Jesus has been faithful to give this account of the secret. And what is the secret here? We're just talking about the gospel. We're just talking about the good news that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to save sinners, that He gave up His life, He died willingly, sacrificed Himself so that we could have everlasting life. That's the secret that He gives His disciples, and we have record of it. Recorded in Matthew and Mark, this very conversation, and passed down for generation after generation. So you can do this, right? You can turn around and follow Christ. That's what repent means it means turn around. And I know that it's not as simple if you have a serious addiction, right? Or if you have a sin that just daily is holding you down, is grinding you. I know it's not so simple to just say, I'm just going to turn around. I'm just going to stop doing that. And yet, through the power of Jesus Christ, you can. Your life can be made new. You can repent and believe and have everlasting life. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is the secret that he shares with his disciples. And he goes on, he explains the parable. He says that you can respond to the word by seeking the Lord. And the disciples are already on that. They're not content with being confused about that parable. They go to Jesus and they say, explain this to us. And I challenge you, if you've got one of these, right? If you've got one of these, this is the traditional version, this is the analog, this is the digital, right? If you've got one of those Go to it, go to the word, and ask the Lord, help me understand this. I don't get it. Go to Jason, uh, go to Bo. Bo, you're ready for this, right? And ask these questions. He is now. Ask these questions because God does not want you to remain confused. So seek the Lord and be good gardeners. I'm going to go into some more detail of Jesus' explanation in a verse-by-verse way. But understand that he is saying that you should turn up the soil of your heart, that you should prepare 
your heart to receive the word. That means planting the word deep. That means knowing the word of God. If this, in fact, is the word of God, then we have, we have a real responsibility to know it, to listen to it, to hear it. We want it in our hearts. We want it in our lives, in our minds, in our everyday lives. And we have to protect it. Because the other option, and it is another option, is to neglect it. To just let it become hardened. And that is a way that leads to death. So our response is going to lead to life or death. What are we going to choose? What are we going to pick? Some plants in the parable, it says, produce a hundred times over. If you've been given the secrets of the kingdom, what does that mean? What do you do with that? How do you produce fruit? I think some people imagine that 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 necessarily means that they're an evangelist or that they're a preacher. They're some kind of full-time gospel worker. And I want to tell you that being faithful with the word that you've been given can also mean just sharing how God has impacted your life, changed you, brought you from grief to joy. I've told the, uh, the North Liberty congregation, I think I've told this congregation, that my younger sister, when she was 40 years old, uh, just, just about a year ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she had to have a double mastectomy and a full hysterectomy. And at 40, that's not great, right? It's not fun. It's not fun at any age. But she was concerned for her life, as you might imagine. And the Lord not only saved her, but has brought her back into health and strength and gave her a full-time job that she didn't have this time last year. And so, absolutely, this is God at work, right? And we should praise God for that. And so I need to give you testimony, and you all need to give each other testimonies of what God is doing. That's what it looks like to be faithful. But it doesn't always look like that. Sometimes you're faithful in prayer for people who are in harm's way for years, and they remain in harm's way for years. And so we also need to talk about how God enables us to grow and mature and to learn about him, even through trial, about how his strength is made perfect in our weakness, because that is also being fruitful, being faithful in the kingdom. So yes, if you're an evangelist, if you're gifted that way, do that. Go out and share the word of God with people you've never met before. But if you're not, Don't ignore the gifting that God has given you. Opportunities for you to share who he is and what he's done. Be fruitful in the kingdom. Know that some plants are going to die. This is is clear in uh, the scripture. It's clear in the parable even, right? That there is that consequence. And then know also that some plants are in fact weeds. And this is from a different parable. So I don't want you to uh, hear one thing that, that, that I'm comparing these two Um, uncarefully, because in fact, if you read on in Matthew, there's another parable about weeds and wheat, about two plants that look similar. And so I do want you to hear that just looking like a healthy believer is not the goal, right? Don't just come to church to come to church. Don't just say that you pray to say that you pray. The point is not to appear like a believer. Jesus is very clear in the book of Matthew. He says it in a couple of places He says, lots of people are going to say that they knew me. They're going to even say that they did miracles in my name. But the fact is, I don't know them. And so the appearance is not what matters. It is the heart that matters. Is it given over to Christ or is it not? Our choices are leading to life or death. So let's look at what Jesus says about all of these different 
soils, about these different ways that we can orient ourselves to the Lord. He says to them, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path. The word sown, they hear, and Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that is sown in them. Satan's not a name. Satan's a title. It's a position. Satan means accuser. Satan is constantly trying to accuse us of everything that we've done wrong. Make us feel the shame and the guilt and the despair of all of the things that we've done wrong. And Jesus says, look, this is, this is something you can know. This is something you can prepare for. As a sower of the seed, as a giver of the word of God, a person who's making testimony about all God has done in your life, you cannot, you cannot let the accuser get in the way. And as somebody who is a plot of soil, as somebody who has a heart, where the seed of God, the, the, the word sown in your heart can land, you cannot pay attention to the accuser. Because what's he going to do? He's going to come and he's going to take away the word from you. He's going to make you forget what God has said is true. So don't listen to the accuser. That's a response that you can have. You can reject Satan. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you, Scripture says. Here are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they fall away. You guys have seen plants before growing like in concrete, right? Or plants where their roots are just kind of clinging to a rock, maybe on a riverbed. And you know that once the river rises or once the wind blows, the plant is gone. And this is a response that we can have. This is a way of responding to the word. To just immediately take joy in a little thing. Maybe something like, God is my savior, which is awesome. It's good. Right? But that's not all he wants to be. He also wants to be the king. This whole sermon series is about receiving the king. And so if you have a savior who you're not willing to allow to be king, those roots are not very deep. They haven't clung into who you are yet. You're holding out, right, on the whole authority question. You're like, God, I'm not quite ready to give you authority yet. Let you save me, but I want to give you authority. And so what's going to happen is that you're going to be persecuted and you're going to lose, you're going to lose that word sown in your life. Others are the ones sown among thorns. Those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enters in, chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. Not dead, right? Some of these people who are this kind of soil, they might in fact believe, but they can't produce fruit because their heart is given over to other things. They're allowing, they're allowing weeds to grow in their soil. You guys have heard perhaps uh, the misquotation, money is the root of all evil, but it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here, that riches are deceitful. Riches say to you just a little bit more. Just, just a little bit more and then you'll be satisfied. But you're never satisfied. And it's not just material wealth. There are all kinds of riches that we long for and they can choke out our fruitfulness. They can keep us from being fruitful with the word of God because we care more about those things than we care about the word. And so Jesus says, listen, all of these things you can know in advance. You can understand how the word, when it's sown faithfully, is going to impact you, and you can understand how you can respond to these things. You can prepare your heart. 
Preparing your heart looks like all kinds of different things. It looks like being faithful, just like the sower is faithful in scattering the seeds, spreading the word in all kinds of places. You as soil can be faithful to take the word in, to read it. Lots of people don't come to church, and even the people who do come to church don't read the word. So read the word. Talk to each other. The Holy Spirit is enabling you to have life more abundantly in him when you spend time with him, when you abide in him. So spend time with other believers. Ask each other about these things. Talk to one another. Encourage one another. So that you can be good soil. Where you hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. How many of you have ever driven by a field and said to somebody, look at that plot of dirt with corn seeds in it? It'd be a weird phrase, right? Anybody use English like that? Look at that plot of dirt. Look at that, look at that land that happens to have corn in it. Anybody ever said that? Maybe if you're a new English speaker and you're trying to put all the pieces together, right? Most often we would say, hey, look at that cornfield. Yes? Look at that soybean field. Because it's Iowa and you have to point out the corn and the soybeans, even though they're everywhere. It's like cows, right? Cows. You guys have never done this? I've got some smiles. All right, good. Good job. Well done. You're full Iowans. So we do this, it's recognizing that the plants and the soil, they're one thing, right? When a plant is rooted, it is indistinguishable from the soil. When the corn has put in its roots and there's row after row after row of corn in a field, you can't really tell where the dirt and the corn are distinguishable from each other. They all become one thing. And this is the goal here. This is what fruitfulness looks like. People look at you and they see Jesus. They look at you and they see abundance. They see 30, 60, 100 fold. They see people who have known you, who can give testimony to God's work in your life because you shared it. You told them what God did in your life, how he sustained you, how he provided for you. This is what fruitfulness looks like. It looks like you and the source of life, the seed from God, his gospel, being so intertwined that people can't tell them apart. So that's what he's calling us to in this parable, right? He is calling us to fruitfulness. He's calling us to life more abundantly. And I said at the beginning, I said, you're going to have to make this choice. You're going to have to make this choice because that's what we're talking about is a choice. It's not just, it's not just, I like to hear the word of God. I don't like to hear the word of God. It's, do I want to make the gospel into my own image or do I want to be remade? And I said that this was the, the sort of line from the Rich Mullins song, right? I did not make this thing, but it is making me. And so let's just take a minute to think about what those two different things are. If we remake the gospel in our image, that looks lots of ways, right? But it looks for sure like telling God how we are going to have it done. Telling God that this is, these are the circumstances under which I'll repent. These are the circumstances under which I'll obey. This is the way I want it to look. And in fact, when some of you heard that, that word at the beginning, when you heard him say in his explanation of why he used parables, I don't want to give them the full truth because they might turn and be healed. You're like, yep, yeah, that's exactly why I don't like God. I don't like God because he doesn't just give us all everything all the time. If it were me, I would do it that way. Right? Maybe you've said this. You've certainly heard people say this. If, if it were me, if I were God, I would have just made it easier for people. But then you would not be content because there would be no justice. 
And so if we had that, it would also be unsatisfactory. And so that is just one of the ways in which we want to remake the gospel in our image. We want to take those seeds that were given to sow the truth of the gospel, and we want to just make it right for us. Take away certain things that God has said or add to them because we like it better. And it's the way that seems right to us. And Proverbs says, the way that seems right to a man is the way that leads to death. Because our perspective is so limited. So the other choice, right, is to allow the gospel to transform you. And what does that look like? What does it mean to allow the gospel to transform you? It means that you cease to be yourself, right? Seed, seed is not a plant. Seed is transformed into a plant, and that's exactly what the gospel does to us. That's why God uses that metaphor. He uses it with a mustard seed. He uses it with a number of different um, examples throughout the gospels. It's a parable that he returns to again and again because it's powerful. It is a life transformed. It's the truth right? Given by God, sown faithfully, and then life transformed. Whole new thing, indistinguishable from the gospel. That's, that's what he wants to do. So those are your choices today, every day. How are you going to do this? Are you going to continue where you're at? Or are you going to ask, go, to the, go like the disciples went to the Lord and say, Lord, please give this to me. Show me so that I can know, so that I can participate, so that I can understand. And he did give them give them the secret, right? And like I said, it is, not just, it is not just a secret, it is the gospel. He did give them the gospel and he's been giving it to us faithfully year after year for 2,000 years. So I know that I'm done early. I tried really hard, but that's all there is to say. So would you like me to invite Joe up now or do you want to pray first? All right, so Joe's going to come up and he's going to share something about the life of the church that's important. Yeah. Hello, this was going to be Jason's announcement, but Jason's out of commission. Again, pray for Jason and his family. So what I have to share with you relates to our conversation that we've been having on Sunday evenings or Sunday mornings. And uh, I'll read on it a little bit. Is it me or is it the mic? So we have been discussing the possibility of moving services to Sunday morning for a while. When we first planted Grace Downtown 10 years ago, it wasn't an option for us. We couldn't meet in the mornings at the campus or the Baptist church we were meeting at. We couldn't meet here. But in the, sometime in the last year, the uh, folks at Old Brick here let us know that it was an option for us if we wanted to consider it. So after about the la- for about the last eight months, we've been spending a lot of time visiting uh, among us downtown elders, visiting with the Grace North Liberty elders, talking to even other pastors and, and getting a lot of advice. And we have decided that we think, as the elders, it's best that we move to Sunday mornings sometime after the first of the year. Now, what that means is we want to take our time to talk to the members in person about this. We're visiting with the community group leaders first because we consider the community group leaders to be like an under-shepherd. They've stepped forward and said, we want to help lead this flock. 
So we want to visit with them first, make sure that uh, they have a full understanding of what we're thinking. So if you have any questions about this idea, we'd encourage you to either talk to us as pastors or talk to your community group leader or both. Talk to several people. Um, mull it over. Figure it out. Uh, pray about it. Uh, really what it comes down to is asking God, God, is this the direction you have for us as a congregation? So we'd encourage you to uh, understand that that's we, where we think we're headed and we want to lead the flock in that direction, but we want to have the conversation along the way. So pursue the conversation with either your community group leader or your pastors or both. Uh, that being said, I'm going to uh, end the service with a benediction. So please stand, because here at downtown, we are men and women of action. If you <clears throat> noticed in the parable tonight, it said something to the effect of the seed that fell on good soil were those who received the word and put it into action. So we want to be people who take the word and put it into action. Please bow your heads. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in grace and peace.